Okay. Yeah, that one's on too now. Okay, good. <laughs> well, like I mentioned earlier, we are in a series called Fruitful, the freedom of following Jesus. Um, it's a, it's really, I don't know, it's been, I, can, I can't speak for anyone else, but I can say it's been really awesome for me. <laughs> and so uh, that I'm glad that you let me go through this series. It's been wonderful looking at the character traits of Jesus um, that we see in Galatians chapter 5, that we call them the fruits of the Spirit commonly in the church. Um, and it's really the character of Jesus that God wants to produce in us. And it's been such a refreshing reminder in the midst of our, all the stresses that we've gone through, all the ways in which I've felt set back in my life, where I've just felt like, man, I'm not, I'm failing, I'm, I'm, I'm getting down on myself, I'm getting down on life. It's such a good reminder to get back to the basics, that I can't control how people feel about me. I can't control my level of skill as your pastor. <laughs> like I, I can't, I don't, I can't improve, I can't massively improve my ability to adapt to the circumstances we're in. But I can, what I can do is I can control the quality of my relationship with God. You know, that's the only thing I can control is the quality of my relationship with God. Because I, and I say control that because I know that God is always faithful. That he will never fail me. And that he is promised that he's come, he sent the spirit to transform us. So I can be, I can participate in that. That's something that I can do. And that it brings life to me and those around me. And so I just think every week I'm like, man, I love this topic. I love, I love, like last week we talked about patience. And I just got reminded all over the last couple weeks, thinking about patience last week, preaching on it and thinking about patience this week. I can always respond with patience and it's so life-giving. Today, I want to talk, we're going to talk about kindness, that God wants to spiritually transform us to become kinder people. All of these qualities we've talked about are, are qualities of spiritual transformation. I want to make that clear. Uh, we've talked about how this isn't about behavior modification or self-help or what we might call moral reformation. This is about spiritual transformation. In moral reformation, what you would do is you would pick a topic like kindness and then you would go read a book about it and then you would make a plan and you would figure out how you could gradually become a kinder person. That's not the way God transforms us. There's not anything necessarily inherently wrong with that, but it's just not as effective as what God wants to do in your life. Because when we go through moral reformation, we're, we're, we're really kind of like deciding that I'm going to make myself a better person I'm going to make myself the person that God maybe designed me to be, but I'm going to do it without God. So in the end, it makes you more prideful. And that leads to all, and, and this should be clear, your main problem in life isn't that you're not kind enough. Your main problem, or patient enough, your, our main problem is that we're prideful. We're self-centered. We don't trust God. We don't rely on His resources. We're not humble enough to know how much we need God. And so spiritual transformation works it starts with the humility to recognize that I cannot become the person that God made me to be without God's help. So I start in that humble place. God, I am not who I want to be. I'm not who you made me to be. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, I, I can be at peace with who I am right now. I can know that I'm loved. I can know that everything in life is just a lesson to learn. But I can also have an infinite amount of hope because I know you are changing me and transforming me. And give me the strength to be the person that you that, that I even I want to be deep down. So today we're going to look at that quality of kindness. It's actually kindness might is one of the number one things in the scriptures that is repeated over and over and over again that God wants to produce in you. It's actually, I would say that in part because anywhere you see the idea of, of God saying he wants you to be a loving person, it always involves being a kind person. Kindness is essentially love in action, right? It's love on the ground with real people in the real world. And the Bible has a ton to say about kindness, that, that God, it's a big deal to God all over the scriptures. It's, it's often used as the 
the number one mark that you actually have God in your life. Because God is kind. And, he, and, the, and you, even get, you get these warning passages that are scary as heck. It's like if you're not kind, then you clearly don't have a relationship with Jesus, right? And that's kind of scary. But the idea that God's trying to help you see is that kindness is a big deal to him. And that when you have a relationship with God, he is so kind and generous that he, you gradually become kinder yourself. Let's look at some of these scriptures real quick before we jump into our message. The, the, in a, this, this is what God has to say about kindness. First, our main passage from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the life that, the, that when we're, we have that relationship with God, God pours the Spirit into your heart. When you stay connected to, to Jesus and the Spirit, the Spirit starts to produce these qualities in you. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who are in a new relationship with Jesus that's based on a belonging in Christ, based on what He did for us on the cross, He says those people, they have chosen to crucify the flesh and its, and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another and envying one another. And then on kindness, in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, we get one of the key things Jesus taught about a lot, just summarized in one verse. It says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. We read about that last week in Romans too. That no one pays, repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Always seek to do good, to be kind, to be loving. Always that this is a new, the ethic of Jesus. You see this actually, we were, I was just reading about this in my DNA group and, and Matthew in, the, in the, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, hey, we are to be the people who bless those that curse us, that are radically generous. That if someone, you know, he says radical things to shock people, like if someone slaps you on the face, well, turn your cheek and let them slap you on the other cheek. The idea being that we're always to be thinking in terms of how can we be generous even with our enemies? How can, because it's through that generosity that we'll overcome evil, that we overcome evil with good, not with evil. I think about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 on kindness. It says, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ. We'll come back to that. See, the, the world, Jesus wants the world to know that God is with us, that Jesus is with us by the way we love each other and by the way we love people in the world. He said, you know, he said to his disciples, a new commandment that I give you, right? Love one another as I have loved you. It's not it's, what's radical about it, and it's weird. It doesn't sound like a new commandment because everybody knows you're supposed to love people, but he's saying what's new about it is this radical level of loving even your enemies because Jesus is about ready to go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins. And he, on that cross, he was going to say to the people that were, that were killing him, he was going to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's a radical love that that Jesus wants to give us. God wants grace and glory. You realize this, God, God's desire, his heart for our church, for you and our church, is that, that we would be famous in Clark County for our love. Like you as a neighbor, like God has placed you in your neighborhood and his desire for you and his hope and his dream for you is that you would become famous in your neighborhood as the, as the family that loves everyone, that's kind and generous. That people would be like, wow, yeah, 3408, that house, that, they, are, they are some nice people. I mean, they, they're just nice on another level. They're so kind. You know what they did last week? You know, like, like so they, they, you know, they heard we were sick and they brought over soup or whatever it was. Or they, you know, like every neighbor that moves in your neighborhood, they're like, wow, that, that family's there meeting us, serving us, helping us, loving us. God's desire is that you would be famous for your kindness. And God wants to give you the power to be that kind of a person. Famous for living a life like Jesus. That You think about Jesus. He's, 
He's, how does he show his kindness? Well, he went around all the time willing to be interrupted, willing to, to let people interrupt his day so that he could bring healing and hope and health to their life. And God wants you to be like that. Someone who is willing to do bold things, to do scary things, to be interrupted and to, to give away things that you have so that you can bring health and hope and healing to everyone around you. When I think about kindness, I, I, I think about a famous story that Jesus used to demonstrate what it looks like to love your neighbor. We, most of you have been around church for 15 minutes. You probably know this story. It's one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. It's the summer. I decided to hit the easy button a little bit here and go to something we're familiar with to help us see the, a picture of kindness from it's the story that's commonly called the story of the Good Samaritan. And, I wanna, and so I want to go through this story and see it as a picture of how we can become kinder people. Uh, it's a Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'm going to be in the ESV translation if you, if you want to find it in your Bible app or whatever. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And he got a little bit squirmy. Like, okay, yeah, just do that perfectly, and you'll have eternal life. You'll earn it. It says, but desiring to justify himself, Jesus, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Right? And we'll come back to this idea of him justifying himself in a little bit. But here he is. Think about it. Think, he's, he's operating in the mindset of religion. you got to earn your way. you got to earn your way up to God. Right? Like, all, that's the way all religions work. you got to earn your way up. And, and, he's, and Jesus, he's trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus ends up trapping him. He's like, okay, what, how do I inherit eternal life? He asks him, okay, what do you think you need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, love the Lord your God with everything that you got, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's a, you're right. Do that, and you'll inherit eternal life. So he starts to squirm a little bit like, oh, no. I just got stuck there a little bit. And he says, so he says, desiring to justify himself, like desiring to like, be right with God, like I'll prove that I can, you know, he's like, I got to figure out how to get right, even though that's, that's, that standard is way too high. It says, so who is my neighbor? You know what I mean? It's like the idea of, I got to, if I'm going to have to earn my way to do this, then I better, I better make the, the bar low enough to reach it. So my neighbor, how many neighbors are you talking, Jesus? We talking like three neighbors? Like just the houses around me? Right? Like square, you know, I don't know, like 10 people, just the neighbors I like, just the nice neighbors, the Jew, just the Jewish neighbors. You might be say, thinking to himself, you're not thinking of those non-Jewish neighbors, just the righteous neighbors. You're not expecting me to love those sinners, right, Jesus? And so Jesus tells a, a famous and shocking story to this answer. Who is the neighbor that I'm called to love like God has loved me? And he tells the story, the opposite, like as we know of what we expect, because he tells the story with the Samaritan as the hero of the story. The Samaritans were a half-breed of Jews that, had, that insulted the Jews by creating their own religion and building their own temple, and they hated one another. The Samaritans thought they had the one true religion. The Jews thought they had the one true religion. And they would go to war against each other, and they would, it was like the worst of racism in our country they had against one another. They hated each other. But I want, as I go through the story, I want you to think of the story as, as three ways that we might approach our neighbor, three ways that, that we might have attitudes towards people. And by the way, I, I, uh, I just happened to come across this week when I was doing my studies. Um, um, a message by by uh, Rick Warren and on the on the topic of kindness, and his outline was just killing it. So and I couldn't get away from it. So I adapted his outline because it was just too simple and great. 
And think about this as three possible, and so, so we think about this as three possible attitudes that you might take towards people in your life, your neighbors, people, your coworkers. Three ways that you might approach them. And, and I don't want you to think, it's easy for us to think, well, I'm obviously the good person. Now, I want you to think in terms of on any given day, you probably have all three of these attitudes. You're, like in any given day, some people you're going to be like the Good Samaritan too, maybe. Someday you're going to be like, the, you know, like the Levite. Someday you're going to be like the, the lawyer, right? Like any day you're going to have these, any week you're going to have these kind of three attitudes towards people. So Jesus, tell, as he tells the story. So, so verse 30, the story goes on. He says, uh, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. Okay, so here's a guy. He's on a dangerous road. This road is one of the most famous for being dangerous. Lots of people get hurt on this road. So he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Um, so this is the attitude to your neighbor. Like, I'm, I am going to keep my distance from people. This is the attitude of avoidance. We often, and I'm sure all of us can think, you know, think of this in our life, that sometimes we just like to keep people at a distance, right? Like it's a a natural, easy way to live in our culture. I'm just going to distance myself from people. I'm going to, that if I get too close to people, it will be too, that that will cause inconvenience, or I don't, I don't have time for that, or I I hear regularly, I, I, I probably every week hear someone say something, or I see something on Facebook that basically says people suck, right? So stay away from people, right? Like you see this in anybody who works in customer service. They have to, but everyone, you know, I worked for Home Depot for a couple of years. We had to vent every once in a while about how stupid people are. And, I, <laughs> and I'm sorry that I, I'm sorry that if you ever worked in customer service, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody does this, right? Like, and I, I, I'm convicted about it. I shouldn't have done that. I was a bad witness to Jesus. But it's, it's, when you're around people, people are inconvenient and they do silly things and, and you think bad thoughts about them. And eventually, a lot of us start to take the attitude of avoidance. I'm going to stick away. From, I'm going to stay away from people, right? And it's easy, and it's so easy in our culture. It's become normal in American culture to keep people. I mean, this is part of our culture, right? Like you, in the, the whole suburban thing, like you don't have to know. I mean, like we live in a society for like one of the first times in human history where you would not know your neighbors. And that's normal. Like we wouldn't think you're weird to not know your neighbors' names. Like that's, that's actually, we invented something in, 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 the, in the West, like called individualism. Like I'm going to stick to myself. I don't need anybody else. It wasn't very long ago that you needed your neighbors because someday you might actually need them to not die. So you better get to know them and stay on good terms because you might run out of food or some army might come and you need, to, you need some extra swords or something like that, right? Like that wasn't that long ago. That's the way life works. But now we can just drive into our, garage door opener and open it and go in and go in and never, never, you're like, I don't even know what my neighbors look like. (laughs) We don't, we just stick to, I just stick to my road. They stick to their road. And that's how I live my life. A lot of people say, I just stick to my, my path. I let them stick to their path. I'm going to keep to myself. And think about needs. Here's the, the good Samaritan. I mean, here's the, 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 the man who fell amongst the robbers and he's hurt. And, and here's the thing. You think about our culture right now. We have tons of hurting people in our culture. I mean, all over our city, there's, there's thousands of hurting people. There's thousands of poor people in our community, genuinely p- p- poor people. People, and I, and I define poor as being someone who has very few options in life. They don't have the kind of options we have for work or for to get in their life together. Their options are limited. That, that is what it means to be poor, is to have limited options when it comes to what clothes you're going to wear, what food you're going to eat, what jobs you can get, what education you can get, what programs you can get into, those kind of things. You have limited options. But here's the thing. In our daily life, we don't really notice. Why is that? Well, it's just like in the story. They're on the other side of the road, right? And the road just happens to be a lot longer, <laughs> bigger. You, you have like. You have to actually get over on their side of the road to even notice these needs, to have any sort chance to have any kind of compassion for it. 
because you could easy to keep them at the distance. And we even say things to ourselves like, well, you know, we got programs and they have options and look at all the unemployed, you know, and there's job openings and all these things we say to ourselves to distance ourselves from the real needs of people around us, right? So that I can stay, I can feel good, I can feel okay, I can feel not feel guilty, kind of I'm going to stay on my side of the road, I'm going to walk my lane. I don't really want to get over on that lane. That's an attitude we can all have, and I think we, I've had in my life. Keep my distance. Now, the ne- here's the next attitude. It says in verse 32, another man comes along. It says, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. This is the attitude that I can be caring, I mean curious, but uncaring. I can be curious, but uncaring. How? I mean, think this guy does something almost worse, okay? He goes over, here's this guy who's half dead, and he goes over and he looks over it, he goes and looks at the guy, and he's like, interesting. There's a half-dude guy on the side of the road. And then he goes back to his side of the road, and he walks on. This is the attitude of indifference. You kind of see the need, but you ignore the need. You have a reason to ignore the need in your mind. Too overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed by life. I don't want to get involved. It'd be complicated. Or I'm just not really trusting that this person really, really needs my help. Or they'll probably take advantage of my help, right? It's very easy to develop in our culture the attitude of indifference. Partly because now we live in a global society and we see so many needs, right? That how do you not become a little callous? Because we don't just see the needs of Clark County. We see the needs of all of America and the whole world. And, and it's like, wow, there's just millions of needs, how can I help all of that, right? And we have a whole systems of, we have now systems of poverty that hold people down. And yeah, they're in a system of poverty. And it's so easy to look at their life and say, wow, that look, I can see what's wrong with their life and they're not trying to fix it very good. And so I'm not going to help because they haven't taken advantage of the opportunities that they have in America, right? And so we start to become indifferent to people and the needs around us. And we don't act. We see it, but we don't act. Actually, this last year, I've been studying a fair bit since the George Floyd murder on, on, um, on, on racial injustice and reconcil- what that looks like through race, and race, um, racial reconciliation and, what, and trying to un- listen to a lot of stories and, and trying to get involved. And one of my biggest fears was I don't want to just be someone who learns about racial injustice and gets all fired up about it but doesn't do anything because that is no good to anyone, right? That is no good. That is just creating more of a what at least is going to feel like indifference to, the, to people of color. All these, all these white people felt guilty and learned about racial injustice, but then they didn't do anything about it or develop any new relationships. That's not the heart. And I, I, was, I knew that that would be very, very tempting because the need is so big it's so complicated, and there's so much, and it's such a complicated issue that it would be easy to learn about it and make sure that I'm on the right side of history, but then not do anything about it, right? It's, and I, we could think about that with all kinds of issues. You could learn about homelessness and how complicated that is and get all involved, but then in the end, not do something, not help, like not become a kinder person that actually gets engaged in people's life. See, God, God wants us to actually engage with people. And it's easy for us to see needs and not act or to find a reason why I don't need to act in this situation. I think about Exodus chapter 23, verse 5. Just a beautiful law written into this. You know, there, there's these laws. Some of the, you read through, if you're reading through the Old Testament, sometimes you get bogged down by all the laws about, about what kind of cloth fabric they're supposed to wear and stuff like that. But you'll find these gems of laws in there that show you the ethical heart of God that's so beautiful. And here's one of them. It says, if you see... The donkey of one who hates you, lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. I love, man, wow, what a convicting verse. If you see 
your, your neighbor who, you, who hates you. He didn't say who you hate, who hates you. It's even worse, right? Like this guy hates you. This is the guy that like, he's just, he, maybe he, he's, he's looking for any reason to hurt you. He's looking for any reason to steal your land or whatever. He's a bad neighbor. But if you see that terrible, awful person and you see their donkey under his broom, meaning like the donkey's fallen down and can't get up, that kind of idea. He's like, you need to help that animal. You need to help that neighbor. Think about that. God, first of all, it shows God's heart that he cares about that, that animal that's, that's fallen down and is hurting and is going to die. And he, and he wants you to go help it. But he also cares about the neighbor who you hate, who hates you. And he says, you need to help him. This shows God's heart that God really doesn't want you to hate anyone. He doesn't want you to hate or be indifferent to anyone, no matter who they are. And notice he's not saying this is a nice person. He's saying this is a bad person. But he still doesn't want you to respond to their hate, their evil, their ignorance with hate, with your own brand of anger, with your own brand of justice. He wants you to respond with kindness. He says, do the kind thing. And you think about this, this is like, we think about Jesus. Sometimes I think we give ourselves permission to be indifferent and to be hateful towards people. We might not call it hate, but to be like, I just don't like that person and I don't want to feel any kind of desire to do good for them. But think about Jesus. Who did Jesus hate? Who did Jesus hate? What do you say? What would Jesus do? <laughs> Who did Jesus hate? No one, right? He loved everyone. Did he know that they were wrong? Was he frustrated with how, how much of a knuckleheads they were? Did he know some people were downright evil? And sometimes he actually would say this to the, to the religious leaders. He knew they were evil, but he would still say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He would still love them. He would still keep offering salvation and hope to them. That God wants to give you the power to not hate anyone and then instead love people and show them kindness. And that doesn't mean you have to, and I want to be clear, he's, he's saying that that person in your life who is really wrong, they're wrong. And you want, and, you, and it frustrates you so much how wrong, I mean, isn't that, we're living in a time right now where you get very frustrated with the people who are wrong. I just want you to get, I, like, I want you to know how wrong you are and how right I am, and I'm so frustrated that I can't get you to figure out that you're wrong and I'm right. How does God want you to treat them? With kindness. Because that's how God treated us. Right? Think of that person who's like, you're like, man, they're so wrong. They are just, they are way on the, they are like way on the wrong side of history. Kindness. See, God gives us the power to, to not be, to not show that attitude of avoidance, to not show indifference, to look at people in our life who we don't agree with. Like I'm not, and I'm not saying you're, you have to agree with them. I'm not saying you have to feel anything good about them. And you're like, you know, not, it doesn't feel, kindness doesn't mean it feels like good. It doesn't mean you feel in love. It means you're choosing to act in love as God has loved you. God, because that's the third attitude. I can show, instead I can, you know, I can be someone who avoids people. I can be someone who's curious but caring. And all of us do those two things if we're honest with ourselves. Or I can show kindness. It says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now let's just remember how crazy town this is. This was like, this is a mind-blowing story to their day. Because this would be like telling the story in the heart of of just racialized America with all the tensions between black and white. And this would be like a black man coming across, coming across a guy who's a KKK member with a hood hood on that just came from doing all kinds of nefarious things, but he sees that man half dead on the side of the road and he decides to show him kindness. That's what this story is saying. Kindness. The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other and they did terrible things to each other. And Jesus says, he says, this, you know, the Samaritan, the, 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 uh, the one who's like me is the one who sees, sees the need 
even of the person who is my enemy. And they have compassion and they act upon it. Jesus wants us to learn how to have the radical power of kindness. This is the power that will change the world and overcome evil for good. I think about uh, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. We know it as the golden rule. He says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Fulfills the law and the prophets. Like God's heart of kindness is the simplest, one of the simplest ways to think about it is saying, how would I, if I was in this person's shoes, how would I want to be treated? If I was that, if I was that drug addict, how would I want to be, how would I want to be treated? If I was that homeless person, how would I want to be treated? If I was that neighbor that's the jerk, but how would I still want to be treated? If I was, you know, if I was your coworker, how, uh, how would I want my other coworkers to treat me? God wants to teach us, help us have the power to be kind, even to our enemies, even to the people that we think are very, very wrong and we don't like very much. God gives us the power of kindness. So how do we become that kinder kind of a person? Now, the first thing I want to do, I, I, I usually actually save the Jesus talk for the end. But this, I realized this week, I, I, I was surprised how many messages I heard this week that went right into like, okay, here's four steps to kindness. I'll go do that. I feel like completely missed the point that we can't be this kind in our own strength and our power. But I mean, it will, it will sound great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I could preach that and you'll be like motivated. And like, yeah, let's go be kind. But I, I, I think that one of the things this story does is it shows us that we don't, we can't come at the story with the audacity to think that I can be the good Samaritan, like that I have the power to have this kind of kindness in myself, that I'm going to like make a look just the story is audacious, the amount of kindness God wants you to show. And it's audacious to the level of recognizing that I need to get on my knees and say, God, change my heart. Help me. Like that's what the story is designed to do. I don't have the power for this kind of kindness. The story is easy to turn into some kind of Hallmark movie. It's going to make us feel a little motivated for a little bit about the goodness of humanity and how we can do this. That is not how the story ends. Because remember, the, 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 the story started with this, this lawyer saying, how might I justify myself? How might I earn my way to heaven? He says, oh yeah, go love all your neighbors, right? And then he tells this story and he tells, he's saying, yeah, and your neighbor is the one that you, that you hate, right? It's like, like loving your neighbor that you hate. And he says, Right? And so here's that Jesus, at the end of the story, here's what Jesus says. He says, so who proved to be the good neighbor? And the lawyer can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan, because again, that's his enemy. He says, the one who showed mercy. And so Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Be the good Samaritan. And the twist of the story is that this lawyer walks off with this radical example of audacious kindness in his head thinking, okay, well, I guess if i got to justify myself before God, then I better go be the good Samaritan and love the people who have, that I hate all the time the way I want to be treated. That's how I'm going to earn my way to be heaven. Just go and be like the good Samaritan. Go and love people who have hated me who have despised me, who have cursed me, who have belittled me, have betrayed me, who have hurt me. Like, go and love those people as a way to earn myself to heaven, as the way to prove how good I am. Go do that all the time. This is not meant to be like the simple example story because he was looking for a way to justify himself, meaning he had to go do that. Think about it. Like, if I were to say, hey, let's church. Okay, everybody, we're going to, let's be the Good Samaritan today. We're going to go out and be the Good Samaritan. And you're like, well, we're going to, we'll start a new project. We're gonna, it's a new event called the Good Samaritan Project. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to write down the 10 people who have hurt you the most in life, who have, who have just hated you, who have betrayed you, who have wrecked your life. Write down all 10 of those people, and then we're going to go out, and we're going to go love those people, and we're going to inconvenience ourselves. We're going to give our time, and we're going to give our money to them. And you're like, well, how long are we going to do this? Well, forever. All the time. 100%. 
You're being graded too because you're going to justify yourself before God based on how well you do at this. There's a test at the end. We'll, we'll check to see how good you're doing, right? Like, is that the point of the story? Go be the good Samaritan. I don't think that's the main point of the story. Yes, God wants us. We'll, we'll get there in a second. God wants us to become like the good Samaritan. But we don't come like the good Samaritan by saying, oh yeah, I'm going to be the good Samaritan. We have to recognize that this isn't that simple of a story. Because the tragedy is this lawyer walked away thinking he could do this. But I think as soon as he walked five steps, he's like, I'm in, I'm, I, I, don't know, I, I don't know if I can justify myself. He was, God, Jesus was intentionally making him feel incredibly uncomfortable like, because he wanted to come back and say, Jesus, I can't do it. I think the problem, think about it, like, like if, the, if the, the solution to us becoming a kinder people and we're going to heal the world with kindness, if the solution was telling a story like this to basically say you should love each other, then why, then why hasn't the world changed? Because people have been believing that the way to change the world is through love for, forever. And yet 2,000 years later, after this story was told, you know, the world hasn't changed. Why are there, you know, why are there still so many people who still feel like life has robbed them and, and stripped them and left them naked to lie d- dead in the ditch? And the world has not become, if, if, we, if it was all about like, oh yeah, you, everybody, let's do this. Because the moral of the story isn't that we can go be the Good Samaritan. Like we're in the story, we're supposed to recognize that I can't be the Good Samaritan. When you think about those, that, that, that story, like, the story isn't meant to be told like, oh yeah, you're going to be the good Samaritan. Who's the good Samaritan in the story, really, as Jesus tells the story? I love the way one pastor puts it, puts it that, that in the end, this story, this story is about recognizing that we don't have it all figured out, that we can't justify ourselves. He says, Jesus, he's the, in the story, Jesus, he's the good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who's been marginalized by society. Jesus is the one like the Samaritans who's been forgotten and belittled and misunderstood. And yet when he comes upon us, broken humanity, we're the ones, like where are you in the story? We're the ones in the ditch. We're the one that because of our own stupidity of walking, trying to walk life by ourselves, walking the dangerous road of life by ourselves with no help, we're the one that got stripped naked by, by the brokenness of the world around us and left naked and half dead. And, no, and, 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 the, and you think about it, religion comes along and passes us by. And like morality comes along and passes by. It's not there. To, it can't lift us up out of the ditch. Humanity has left us broken. And, and yet, here comes the Good Samaritan. And notice in the good story, the good Samaritan is the one the Jew has been cursing. It's the one that the Jew has been, been saying he's, he's, he's a heretic. It's the one the Jew has been saying, you're a sinner. You're not good. It's like, just like we look at God and we look at God and we say, God, you're not good. The world's out of control. You're not, God, you're, you're, you're not you're, that, religious, that religious way, that Jesus way. That's not the way to go. I don't need you, God. You've ignored him. So Jesus comes along, the one that, that you've marginalized, the one you've belittled, the one you think you didn't need his help, the one you've ignored, and he comes, and he kneels in the dirt next to you, and he gets your blood all over him, and he pours his oil and his, his wine out, and, and in three days, he comes and he restores you by the, through his cross and the death on his resurrection. And he comes to you, and he says, if there's you know, anything outstanding, It'll all be good when I come back in the story. Think about it. He's like the Samaritan who comes and gets down. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to, he takes care of me, pours on oil and wine, and he puts on, he puts the, he puts the, the, the Jew on his, his donkey and he leads him to an inn, right? And, and he gives them money out of his own pocket to help him, even though this person has despised him and hates him. And he says to the innkeeper, if there's anything else you need, I will pay it when I get back. It's like Jesus' love for us. The the story is meant for us to say, who could possibly be that kind? Only one person, Jesus Christ. Only one person could ever be that kind. Only Jesus. Who am I in the story? I'm the guy in the ditch. And Jesus came to me and he loved me. And he died for me and he forgave me. 
and he gave, poured out his life for me. And so when we think, if we think about kindness and how you're doing, if I was walking through those things and you're thinking, oh man, yeah, I've been avoiding people. Yeah, I've been indifferent to people. Yeah, I haven't been that kind. And we start to feel guilty and we think, okay, I'm going to do better now. No, God, God wants you to see the way, only way we can possibly do better is to start at the fact that I can't do better without God's help. The power for kindness is to recognize that I need God's help. That I belong to Jesus Christ. And in Christ, I'm becoming the person, I'm becoming more and more like the object of my love, Him, Jesus. He's transforming me. So I want to look quickly. What is Jesus? As we, as we come at it now, not from the standpoint that I'm going to like figure it out through my own moral reformation, how to be kinder, but I start from the position of God. I am not kind. Like you, God. Change my heart. I start from that position. What does God do? Well, look at what Jesus did, what the Good Samaritan does to us, how God treats us in the story. This is what kindness might, would look like in action as we trust God. I just want to quickly go through this. But first, in Christ, the kindness, this is what kindness looks like. In Christ, I'm going to start seeing the needs of people around me. I say in Christ because I have to go at this with humility saying, God, help me. Help me to start seeing the needs of people around me. That's what the Good Samaritan did. He said he, said he, saw, he saw him, right? He saw the need. It is so easy to not see the needs like we said. And why is it so easy not to see the needs? Well, because I'm busy, right? I'm very, very busy. And so it's easy when I'm busy, I don't got time for needs, right? When I'm in a hurry, I don't got time for needs. So I have to slow down. I have to start seeing the needs of people around me. I have to, and, and think about it. The other reason why it's hard to see the needs is because, look, you think about it, people, especially in, a, in, a, in most, most parts of our life, people hide their needs, don't they? Like the people in your workplace, the people in your neighborhood, your friends, your family members, they hide their wounds. And God wants to give you the power to be someone who can patiently and kindly draw out to see the hurt in people's lives. That I want to become that person in Christ that I start to see people's pain and say, I can, I'm going to start noticing the needs around me, seeing it. And what's the second thing? So I'm going to start seeing the needs of people around me in Christ. Second, in Christ, I'm going to grow in compassion for people's pain. It says, when he saw him, his heart was filled with compassion. This is the key to moving past indifference is that I have to have compassion for people's needs. You think, think about, uh, I can see, I see someone's need, but do I actually care? Do I, have, do I care about it? How, how do I do that? I think the key thing to this is to learn how to see the need and have compassion for the need. We call it, in one of our everyday life discipleship rhythms, we call this story. You have to learn how to listen to people's stories. Compa- the heart, the way you develop compassion for people and their needs is to hear their story. I love, this is actually the way, I love the way uh, Rick Warren put this. He says, what, what happens in life is that we see, we see how broken people are right now, and we say how far they have to go, <laughs> and we get stuck on that. And we're like, man, that person is messed up, <laughs> and they have, they have a long ways to go, and I want no part of that, right? Especially with difficult people. But here's the thing. We don't see their story. We don't see how far they've come, right? We don't see how far they've come. We see how far they have to go, but we don't see how much they've overcome already, right? Think about it in your life. Think about your life. How much have you had to overcome? And you were desperate for someone to understand that you are a work in progress, but you are not who you used to be, right? You you're desperate for someone to accept you and to hear you out and to see that, man, I've had to overcome a lot of adversity in life. But what happens is in the world, in this cruel world that we're in, no one stops to listen to each other, to see the needs, to hear your story out, and to say, and to say I can see how far you've come. All as we get, we get caught up on the brokenness we see right now on the surface and how far we think you have to go. I mean, oh man, I was so convicted when I heard that because, it, man, us pastors, we are terrible at this. 
we see it. We look at our church and we see the goals of the scriptures and being like Jesus. And we're just like, oh yeah. And we end up getting nitpicky about all the things that all, all the distance that we have to go to get to be like Jesus and forget how far that we've come and forget how far people have come and forget to take the time. We're so quick to be like, here, I'm going to give you some goals for your life to get better. We're so, we're so quick to do that and so slow to just listen to people and to hear how much they've been hurt, to see how much pain they have in their life, to see all the broken things that have been done to them, to hear out what God has done in their life and what God is doing in their life, to just listen to their story. And to have, that's where compassion comes from. It comes from this power that I'm going to listen to people I'm going to listen to their story. I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn about where they've come, and then I'm going to give them something powerful, and that is I'm going to accept them where they're at. Right? There's this quote from this book called The View from the Hearse on Grief. It talks about the power that just listening has the power to heal people. Just listening to people and accepting them, that alone often will bring healing to people's lives. And God wants to give you that power. This book says, uh, view from the hearse, he says, I, he, he, it was written by a guy who lost his, one of his kids. Uh, and he, was in, he says, I was sitting torn by grief and someone came and talked to me about God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly and he said things I knew were true. I was unmoved except to wish he'd go away. And he finally did. But then another came and sat beside me, and he didn't talk. He didn't ask me leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, and prayed simply, and left. I was moved. I was comforted. And I hated to see him go. See, God wants to give you the power to show kindness by listening to people and developing compassion. The key to that is to stop looking at people's lives and asking what's wrong with them and to start asking what happened to them. To stop asking what's wrong with them and to start asking what happened to them. I think about it like the Apostle Paul. He said, thank God I'm not what I used to be. Thank God I'm not what I, I am what I am. Thank God I am what I am. And, and thank God I'm not what I'm going to be. See, all of us live in those three realities. Thank God I'm not what I used to be. Thank God I am, I am where I am today by God's grace. And thank God that I will become something even more beautiful down the road. We all, every person lives in those three realities. And we develop compassion when we learn to listen to those three parts of people's stories. Where they're come, where they are, and where God is leading them. Third and finally, in Christ, I learned to develop kindness by taking action even when it's inconvenient and costly to me. In Christ, I learned, how to, I, I learned, I learned to develop kindness by taking action even when it's inconvenient and costly. It says, he, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he gave the innkeeper some silver and took him to take care of the man. And he said, if the bill runs higher than that, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. The good Samaritan, Jesus, he comes to us and he, he's, he sees our needs, he's compassionate with our needs, and he takes action to meet our needs, even when it's inconvenient and it's costly. And in Christ, God's giving you the power to be inconvenienced and to, give, to be generous even when it costs you something. You say, see, to be kind, kindness is love and action, and kindness is almost always going to require the ability to be inconvenienced. I'm going to see a need, and I'm going to have to let my life be interrupted by that need. I'm going to have to adjust my schedule a little bit. I'm going to have to be late to something. I'm going to have to circle back and do something. I'm going to have to learn how to get over my excuses that I don't want to do this, right? It's going to always be having an inconvenience. I can always make an excuse to not be kind in this moment. There's always a reason 
Why, why, oh, it might not be safe, or I don't know if they'll take advantage of me, or, oh, man, it's going to be awkward, or what if I look stupid? You know, what if I, you know, I don't know, if, I don't have a lot of money. Like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to give up any of my money. Like, I, I had plans for that money. Whatever it might be, I, I'm going to have to learn how to become someone who sees needs, has compassion for people's needs, and takes action to meet those needs. And Jesus wants to give you that power to be someone who can get over their, over their fears and get over their excuses to, get, to be interrupted, to be able to give someone the beautiful gift of kindness. It will change your life. And it, this is the power to change the world because think about it. The reason why, think about the brokenness of the world and why it's so hard to be kind. And here's why it's so hard to be kind. Because hurt people, broken people, hurt people, hurt people, okay? Right? That is why it's so hard to be kind. Because the world is full of hurt people. They're hard to be kind to because they're kind of there's there's a hurtfulness in all of us. But how are we going to heal that hurtfulness? Think about it. There's this cycle in the world of hurt. Hurt people hurt people. So then what happens? Well, that hurt person that you hurt goes off and hurts someone else. And they go off and hurt someone else. It's a cycle of pain and brokenness in the world. How do we break the cycle of pain and brokenness and hurt? We start to be healed people who heal people. That in Jesus, I come to him with my hurt. I come to him with my pain. I come to him with my brokenness. And I let him heal me. So that when I come across other hurt people, instead of responding with more indifference, with more avoidance, with more hurt, I respond with healing and kindness. That's how people are healed. That's how the world, Jesus designs the world to be healed. That it is our kindness that would show the world that God is real. And that we could point people back to a God who can bring an even deeper kindness and a deeper healing than we could ever bring. So I hope this week you will go out and you will have a chance this week to in through the power of the love that you have in Jesus Christ, that you would learn how to become someone who sees needs, who listens so that you can develop compassion for people's story to start looking and saying, I'm not going to just see what's wrong with people, but I'm going to see where they've come from and I'm going to hear their story, develop compassion so I can see a need in their life and then I will take action to meet that need. I pray this week that you would do that, that you would find somebody this week that you can bless. Find one person this week that you can bless. If you're not sure what the need is, well, then you know your assignment. Listen. Listen, and when the need comes up, meet the need. Show them kindness. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much, God, for your kindness to us, for your gentleness and your grace to us, Lord. I pray that you would help our church to become such a kind and generous place, that you would, that you would, you would be working in our hearts to pour out this ki- your kindness into us, Lord God. Help us this morning to receive your grace. I pray for those of us that feel guilty, that feel broken, that feel hurt. We would come to you in humility and recognize that you want to come and you want to bring healing to us, God. You want to bring forgiveness. You want to bring power to our life so that we might walk in your grace and walk in your love, Lord. I pray this week you'd also help us to see by your spirit. You grow this fruit of kindness in us, God. Help us to see the needs around us. Help us to learn how to listen to people and develop compassion for their 